knowing now how bad I was and knowing how good I feel now and how, again, emotionally regulated I am. Um, I am not dependent on any drugs um, or anyone. I would say that I escaped from the mental health system. Welcome to You Cured What? The podcast of reversing the irreversible. This is where you hear how real people are healing from conditions that most people think they're stuck with for life. I'm your host, Joe Kalb. If I had to give you some medical advice, I'd go to medical school and get a medical degree. Seriously, nothing in this podcast is medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute as such. Now, enjoy the You Cured What? conversation. Before we start in with this podcast of healing, I want to plug another project I've been working on, a website of healing, disease-reversals.com. Disease-reversals.com is an online grassroots catalog of healing. It catalogs disease reversal stories posted online across the web, across the world. It categorizes them by disease and by diet used. There are already hundreds of disease reversals cataloged at disease-reversals.com. This website is for anyone asking, can my condition, say, type 2 diabetes, be improved with diet? Check out disease-reversals.com and see what has been happening in the real world. Oh, heal yeah. Disease-reversals.com. I am excited about this recording. This episode's guest, in her writings online, provides much-needed perspective on what is going on in today's world, and much of her valuable perspective is informed by her years of suffering from horrifying depression and by how she was treated by the mental health system before she ultimately regained her health. Thank you for coming on the You Cured What podcast, Allie Zek. How are you doing today, Allie? Good. Thanks, Joe. How are you doing? I am doing well. Doing well. Um, I'm really excited to uh, have you on today. Would you be able to uh, give the listeners a little bit of background as far as uh, where you're coming from health-wise and um, you know, a little bit of your background in uh, dealing with the mental health system? So my journey, Joe, into the mental health system began when I was back in college. Um, my family of origin, I want to point out that my family of origin was very um, accepting and really kind of indoctrinated, I see it now, into the mental health system, or it, it really the healthcare system, meaning that if we got sick, we would go to the doctor. If we were depressed, we would go to the doctor. We were constantly looking for um, you know, a doctor or a healthcare system to fix things for us. And, and really, I don't fault my parents for that. That's just what, you know, that's all they knew um, as well. So when I was in college, I um, started suffering from, I would call, you know, symptoms of mental illness. But what it really was, was symptoms of anxiety and being at a, at a new school, a new college, and being kind of a, a little fish in a really big pond, um, having come from being a big fish in a little pond in high school and being very popular. And, and I got there and just did not have any type of real um, structure with my studying habits. 
um, and no good coping skills for anxiety. So the year just got really far ahead of me in terms of anxiety. And um, one day it just it got so far ahead of me, I decided that I needed to check into a psychiatric hospital because I had been controlling my, um, my, my life, kind of the chaos of my life through my diet. And now when I look at people with, with eating disorders, which is what I was diagnosed with, I really you know, typically see someone that's looking for some sort of control over their environment. And we use food as a way to do that, food and diet and exercise, which is what I did. So I checked myself into the, the psychiatric hospital and they diagnosed me with bulimia and over-exercise. And truly, it was really very quick. They just uh, you know, said that there was a new drug on the market called Prozac and um, that it was you know, helpful for people with bulimia. And that's what they put me on. And so that's where the stamp of like mental illness really set into my um, you know, reality and my psyche. And ever, you know, a- after that, I just assumed that I was mentally ill and, and really accepted that label um, and would tell people that's what was wrong with me. And, and you know, continuing on um, through the years, I was on and off the drugs, but mainly on them um, for you know, the next 25 years and really just kind of began accepted the label of mental illness. And as the years progressed, I had a lot of trauma um, from re- you know, relationships that I was in and a lot of trauma from my childhood you know, as well that I wasn't aware of at the time. Um, and that trauma really... Um, you know, does kind of lay dormant um, in, inside of you. And it's also really affecting your, your subconscious, your behaviors, your actions, your attitudes, your beliefs. And so that, that trauma was really running pretty much everything for me. But then with the combination of that with the psychiatric drugs, it was just kind of a perfect storm um, that would cause me a lot of pain, um, a lot of mental health symptoms, you know, mental illness symptoms, um, and then it got to the point where I was on so many drugs and coming off of them and starting new ones that it really started to produce like psychosis um, that I suffered for, for I'd say, you know, many years. Um, and, and just accepting that that psychosis was who I was and that I, you know, just had simple mental illness and really trusting the doctors and, and the mental health system that as soon as we could find the right drug, um, then all of this would be alleviated and I would be cured. So it's kind of like once I engaged in that system and gave into that belief system, I had no other option but to, you know, f- carry it on and follow their advice that even though I was suffering, you know, greatly and a lot of psychosis that I needed to find the right drug. And as soon as we found the right drug or the right drug, you know, drug combination, then, then, you know, everything would be cured or fixed. And, that, and that's kind of the bone that I was chasing, the carrot I was chasing for many, many years, um, not realizing that all of those things combined were what were really causing, you know, my mental illness symptoms. So did you try a lot of uh, different medications over, you know, over those 25 years? And were there any that, um, I guess, what was your... um, your reaction to some of these drugs? Like, did you have some beneficial effects, some uh, negative effects? Um, what was, um, yeah, what was your reaction to these medications like? That's a good question. Um, you know, to, to the benzodiazepines like Xanax and Valium that I was taking, I mean, yeah, I mean, those were beneficial very, very short term. 
um, I can remember getting so overwhelmed and it would be like, you know, eight o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night. And I would literally just you know, take a, take a Xanax and go to sleep. And it was very, you know, very relieving. I mean, to be quite honest. Um, but then it, there was always the withdrawal effects, you know, not having them in my system. That was the problem. Um, the, the other ones I was on, you know, like SSRIs, I was on, um, anti-seizure medications. So those were, I, I never felt right on those. It was kind of like a, a very skin crawling feeling, um, where you just feel like you're crawling out of your skin and you just can't get settled. Um, so that was just a really, really, um, just very odd, very difficult, um, feeling to have, but, but, uh, you know, the benzodiazepines, when you're taking them, they, they're amazing. Um, it's when they wear off that, you know, just as any drug or alcohol, um, you know, when, when it wears off, that's where you have a problem. That's where you notice that it's, you know, something's really, really wrong. Okay. And so, um, what was that like? And I guess when, um, what was the time frame like on you know when you started on uh, the benzo that uh, benzodiazepine is that diazepine. yeah benzodiazepines yeah that's a hard <laughs> word um, what was the time frame like on uh, when you tried to come off of those and what was the withdrawal experience like. So I, I made the mistake, and I always want to caution people, um, and we, we do have a, a greater understanding of how, how dangerous it is to come off of these drugs abruptly now. When I did it back in 2015 and 16, I was not aware of it, um, and I really didn't see that out in the collective either, and now I do see a lot of warnings about how dangerous it is to, to not do a proper taper off of these drugs. But my coming off of the drugs was always switching over the years you know, switching back and forth. I did have one doctor, um, a general practitioner, abruptly switch me from um, Prozac to Lexapro in one day. And that um, is extremely dangerous that, because they both enter your bloodstream very differently. And that should have been a you know, pretty lengthy taper off of the Prozac and then, it, and then starting up on the Lexapro. And he literally switched me in one day. And so that was my first suicide attempt. Uh, but after that, the other, the only way I ever came off the drugs was doing um, abrupt. I, I abruptly stopped taking them, what they call cold turkey, and um, again, very dangerous. I stopped. I abruptly stopped taking the benzodiazepines, the Xanax I was on in August of fifteen, and proceeded to go into an insane psychosis, um, hallucinating for a week. I slept like uh, four hours in, in seven days. Um, heart palpitations, muscle contortions, diarrhea. I literally saw a man chasing me around my bedroom um, all, I mean, all the time. And so that I went to the hospital thinking I was going to have, you know, heart attack. And that's when they, based on my symptoms of withdrawal and their ignorance, they diagnosed me as bipolar. So instead of saying, oh my gosh, you're having withdrawal symptoms, they said, oh, these symptoms are actually a sign that you're bipolar, even though I told them I thought I was in you know, benzo withdrawal. So, that, so they, died, they dumped me on five different drugs at that hospital in reaction to the withdrawal. And then those five drugs, I quit taking cold turkey in like May of 16, again, not knowing how dangerous it was, but it was it's just intolerable to be on them. Um, again, that skin crawling feeling, and I could not find 
there's just no, um, you don't get a break. There's no like mental, it doesn't come in waves when you're on the drugs, or at least when I was on them, it's constant, a constant, just very odd, out of your body, skin burning, um, very creepy feeling that you constantly have. And so that's why I abruptly quit taking them. And again, when I stopped taking those in 16, not nearly as bad as the benzo withdrawal, not even close, but it was still um, just a, a very painful process to, to stop taking them like that. Okay. So what led you in 2016 to, um, to abruptly stop taking uh, those medications? It, it just was a matter of just, I couldn't handle it anymore. It was, um, you're, I was so tossed and, you know, and, and tossed around and um, again, have that underlying trauma that's there that at this point, I think I was exacerbating because I couldn't get over all of my traumas and, and didn't know how to do them, didn't know why they were still with me, didn't understand, you know, I would say to, you know, my husband at the time or my family, I can't get over this stuff. And it was stuff from, you know, 15, 20 years earlier. Um, and I didn't know what was wrong, what the problem was. And again, it was just like this perfect combination, deadly combination of the trauma and the drugs. And I, I just, um, I never really dealt well with taking the drugs. And I, and I had, um, you know, mental health practitioners, um, one in particular, tell me that I was a problem um, patient that, you know, they didn't, and I have another psychiatrist, a different one, tell me that, you know, he didn't know what was wrong with me because these drugs, you know, helped everybody else. And I found out later that he had at least three people in his practice kill themselves in one year. Um, wow. So, it was, it was just because I, I couldn't handle being on them. I, I was constantly complaining about them, and it just got to a point where I, I um, couldn't handle taking them anymore. So that's, that's why I quit taking them. Yeah, that, um, that makes sense. When, when it came time in uh, 2016 where you had had enough and um, you decided you were going to stop taking these, were you working with um, any kind of medical provider to um, come off of come off of those medications? I wasn't at the time, and I, I do know that when I quit taking them, I had an appointment with Kelly Brogan. Um, she was my doctor that helped me through the whole process of you know coming off of them, even though I'd already stopped taking them. But I, I think at the time I knew I had I had an appointment with her like in three weeks. And again, not knowing any better, and she certainly didn't have the opportunity to tell me to stop, not stop taking them. Um, I just kind of, you know, took myself off of them. And then I showed up in her office um, later that month, and she was like, "Oh, you know, <laughs> you don't ever want to do that." Um, but it's, you know, it's, it was too late also for me to reinstate and and get the effects back. Um, and make the taper any less difficult. So we decided to just, you know, go ahead and stay off of them um, and, and not try to reinstate and do a proper taper. Okay. Okay. So what, um, you know, what was it like in those, um, those few weeks as you, you said it wasn't, um, wasn't as severe as uh, the benzo withdrawal. Is, is that right? Um, yeah. Well, there's, I mean, yeah, there's a difference. There's a difference. So the difference was when I did the benzo withdrawal, I couldn't leave my house. I was literally bedridden 
with a man in a black you know, suit chasing me around my bedroom, crawling out from under my bed, screaming at me, um, the most terrible psychosis I've ever endured in my life versus when I came off of the drugs, I was actually at my son Alex's um, graduation. Um, he was graduating from, from West Point up in New York. And the difference was I was able to get out of the house and actually go to the graduation, you know, tra- travel from Kansas to New York. But I spent most of that weekend in the car screaming, couldn't leave the car, um, you know, barely was able to attend um, any of the events, um, crying the whole time. So, I mean, it's a difference of being completely non-functional versus being non-functional. I mean, it was, wow. you know, neither was functional. It's just one was not as deep of a psychosis um, as the other one. And, and they were both just, I mean, terribly um, horrific. Um, but, but one was a, maybe if you call it better, <laughs> a little bit better um, than the other one. Okay. So, um, you know, you've, uh, you've tapered off of these and, um, I guess I want to come back to something you mentioned earlier, just, um, with the, uh, some of the doctors you were seeing, you were calling out that, um, you were having, um, uh, having issues and you ascribed them to the medications. Um, essentially they, did not believe you and they blamed you, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, that's what I learned to be called gaslighting, where, you know, they would tell me that my symptoms were not the drugs, that my symptoms were my mental illness. So they told me I had hereditary genetic mental illness. No one ever, and a lot of them did know that I had trauma. I can't say that every single, you know, um, psychiatrist especially knew that I had trauma, but certainly my PhD level... Um, psychologist, and she's the one that initially told me after college, um, you know, she said, you're, you know, you have mental illness, you know, because I think I quit taking the drugs from college. She's like, you have mental illness. She absolutely knew that I had trauma, severe trauma, because she worked with me and my family. Um, and she, so she was very aware that I had trauma. Um, so it was, it was a, um, yeah, I mean, it was a process of I call really um, complete abuse now. And it's still very difficult for me to absorb that people I trusted and professionals I trusted would take my symptoms that were actually, now we know, you know, now we know that these drugs can cause really severe side effects. We know they can cause suicidality. Um, you know, we know they can cause worsening depression, anxiety, but at the time my doctors and my healthcare practitioners, my mental health practitioners were telling me, that and it was weird because they would say we just need to find get you the right drug so there's some i guess admittance that maybe it was the drugs but i never really got that from them it was more like you have genetic mental illness what you're suffering from is your mental illness we just have to find the right drug for you in order to cure that mental illness and it and it really is an absolute just mind messing scenario where you just spiral down and and you go down in these kind of layers where your belief system really becomes indoctrinated into their belief system. And if their belief system is one of, you know, uh, mental illness is caused by a chemical imbalance or genetic mental illness and drugs can help cure that, then that's, that became my belief system. And like I said earlier, you kind of have to like, 
attach yourself to that belief system because I didn't know of any other options or alternatives other than what I knew from them. Okay. Um, so let's, um, let's fast forward a little bit, you know, now you are, you know, you're looking back on this with, you know, a level of clarity. So you are, um, you're kind of looking back on, on that part of the mental health system from the outside. So, um, what, what steps did you take in order to get from, from there where you are inside of it? And, you know, I know you, you tapered or you, um, cold Turkey came off, uh, those drugs in 2016. Um, what happened between then and now that allows you to now look back and, um, see that with this kind of clarity? So the, the one, the, Kelly Brogan did a lot of things for me, but the, the main thing that she did for me was she, the very first thing she did for me was she helped me change my belief system. So one of the very first things she said to me when I got into her office, and here I am, and, and really what would be considered acute withdrawal again um, from the drugs. And we, again, we know now that that can cause, you know, pretty severe psychosis. But even in, in that state, she looked at me and she said, you're not mentally ill. Um, you know, I believe that it is the drugs that were causing your mental illness. And so it was, that was the first time truly in, in you know, decades that I had a mental health practitioner look at me and say, no, this is not actually what's going on. It's something different. It's, it's not what you thought it was. And that was just kind of very reality shifting for me. Um, even thinking about that now, I'm like, wow, that's like insane. Because, you know, again, you know, I'm, I'm in this belief system of the mindset that I'm mentally ill, genetic mental illness. I'm just constantly, you know, on drugs and trying to figure it out. And I have a very esteemed doctor say to me, no, that's not what it really was. And so it was very reality um, shattering to me. And so that's the first thing she did, though, was she said, to, you know, that you're not mentally ill. Um, and then it was a very, very long process after that. People think, oh, well, you came off the drugs. It must have been great. Um, you know, all things are, are done. And it was, it was you know, I'm going to be honest, it was complete hell for, I'd say, at least another year, if not longer, um, because I was in, I would call, protracted, protracted withdrawal from the drugs. Plus, again, remember I had that underlying trauma that I am still not really aware is affecting me um, as much as I realize it is. So it was a, um, a very, very long process to you know, stop the drugs, get to Cali, Dr. Brogan, and then begin to change my mindset and then my lifestyle. Um, and that's the second thing she helped me do was to change my lifestyle, meaning change my diet, um, come up with a meditation practice, um, understanding how my body works, um, you know, learning to re-regulate my nervous system that was completely destroyed. Um, from the drugs and again from the trauma. So it was a really, really lengthy process um, that I had to undergo. Um, very obviously, very worth it. But it's it's it was not an easy by any means hole to crawl out of at all. How did you find out about Dr. Brogan? Uh, that was very divinely inspired. Um, one, it's amazing. Um, so I had been seeing a brand new. Um, EMDR therapist, uh, not, not a trauma therapist, but just someone that was, a, you know, like an anxiety specialist in Kansas City and had only been seeing her, I want to say for a month. 
and I was extremely suicidal. Um, and again, coming off of those drugs and, and having withdrawn from them, but very suicidal. And she said to me one day, Hey, there's a new doctor. I just got her book. It looks amazing. I think you should go see her. And, um, Kelly, Dr. Brogan's book, A Mind of Your Own, had just come out, I think, in the last month. And it was, um, you know, traveling from Kansas to New York. It wasn't cheap. Um, and I had been down so many rabbit holes over the years. But I somehow, you know, called them, got in to see her like a month later. And it's really interesting because I think like maybe two months later, she had like a two-year waiting list. So once her book kind of like came out on the market and people became aware of her, there was, I think it was a two-year waiting list. So I was able to get in in a month um, and see her. And that's basically how, how I did it. Uh, very interesting. I know, I don't know when she was on. I knew she was on like the Joe Rogan podcast. So I assume yeah. she got a lot of exposure from that as well. That um, was actually, I think she mentioned me in that podcast. That was actually well after she'd seen me. Um, and kind of had seen the outcomes of what I had, you know, gone through and, and how her protocol helped me. And she actually ended up publishing my case. Uh, I believe it's in the British Medical Journal um, in, a, in a peer-reviewed um, study. Uh, my case was, was published in that. Oh, very interesting. I did not realize that. And, you know, I followed uh, Dr. Rogan since I heard that Joe Rogan episode. I've, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just... Um, you know, I thought she had a lot to offer, a lot of really good things to say, and you know, I followed her for years. So then, when I learned about your story, I I learned about your story before I realized that you even went to Dr. Brogan, and I uh, just thought that was, um, yeah, really really cool that she was able to, um, you know, help you in in your journey so much. Um, with the um, you know, you said she helped change your mindset first, and then also, um, you know, she helped with lifestyle. Um, you mentioned diet. You mentioned meditation. Um, are there any like specific things that, um, like in um, diet, that she mentioned that were like big takeaways, big, um, big difference makers for you? Yeah, I, I can say that. And I can also say that for me personally, it is, it's somewhat frustrating to, to see people that are still suffering out there. And I'll notice on like social media that people are like, I'm still suffering. And they, they still haven't made that connection um, that it could possibly be the drugs that they're on, or they haven't made the connection that it's maybe trauma that they have underlying. Um, but for me, it was a drastic change. And so I'll see some people complain that, well, I don't want to change my diet. I like eating pizza or I can't give up, you know, macaroni and cheese. And I, I kind of, you know, laugh at that because when I was in Dr. Broken's office in New York City, she said to me, and she was very um, like blunt with me. She said, you have to change your diet immediately. Um, and so she put me on a no gluten, no dairy, no sugar, no alcohol, um, you know, diet. And I remember I left her office and I went to eat dinner, you know, like a couple blocks down. And I literally, it wasn't like, well, I'll change when I get back home to Kansas City or I'll do it tomorrow. I need to research. It was like I went to that dinner and fumbled through trying to, you know, order no gluten, no dairy, um, and certainly no alcohol. And right then I changed my life. I was that committed to the process. And I also think I was that miserable um, and that near death that I didn't have any more options. So, it, um, yeah, it was definitely 
she kind of put me on like the whole 30 um, diet where you really kind of remove a lot and then you can enter stuff and introduce stuff back in. And that's really how I still eat today. Um, I don't know how much people again have, they haven't maybe made the connection between the drugs. They haven't made the connection between the trauma they may have. And then they also haven't made the connection between how much alcohol and food can affect our moods. Um, I personally cannot drink alcohol. I choose not to. Certainly I could, and I think I could be functional on it, but I also know that the next day I feel really crappy on it. So my choice is like, why would I subject myself to that, um, to feeling like crap the next day? It's, it's, I kind of am able to look at my diet and even my lifestyle, Joe, where I say, I have a choice and I also understand if I make that choice, this is what will happen. It's pretty predictable for me. So I therefore like choose not to do that. It's a really, it's, it's switched it from like where other people are like, oh, I love pizza. I want to do that. I'm like, it's more empowering to me to be like, can I find a gluten-free crust? Can I find a non-dairy alternative instead of like lamenting that, oh, I can't eat pizza. I'm like, I'll go find my own pizza. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Instead of, and then, and then not suffer, you know, because of it, if that makes sense. It does. And it, it's um, one of the just most mind blowing things to me is how we've been convinced, I think, as um, I guess, as a society, as a population that basically what we eat, doesn't matter like yeah. you know mo- most people just um you know i i think if you if you talk to them for a minute they admit that like yeah like it, it kind of it makes a difference what you eat but not but they kind of wouldn't agree with that they, they a lot of people don't in my opinion i completely agree with you a lot of that is they don't want to give it up they 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 don't want to sacrifice that they also possibly i, I could see this totally that, um so they they don't understand and you know it can take you know anywhere I, th- I think i've heard three days to really have an effect so like let's say that i ate gluten later today i may not feel that effect for three days and so by that time, it's so like diluted down that you don't really realize it was the gluten causing it. Plus you have so many other toxins you're eating. It's very difficult to determine what's making you feel that way. And then also, again, if you're on drugs, underlying traumas, it's really very difficult, you know, difficult to, to discern what actually is causing that. And that's why you know, Dr. Brogan backed me off of everything. Um, certainly the drugs you know, were the first thing. I did that myself. But then, you know, the diet, um, the meditation, it was, and that's why it was so difficult. Um, and it, it's such a long process. Um, certainly coming off the drugs that quickly was not helpful at all. I would never recommend that to anybody because the withdrawal effects, I think, affected me for many years, truly. And I still think I, I suffer not emotionally from the withdrawal effects, but I do think I have some cognitive um, issues. I would love for someone to study my brain because I feel amazing mentally, emotionally, very able to regulate my emotions, but I still suffer from like stuttering sometimes, um, or like using computers, bright lights affect me. So it's, 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 I think it's more cognitive issues that I think are a result of the drugs or the, you know, and, or the trauma that I was on. But back to your point, I don't know that people really want to make that sacrifice, 
Um, a lot of people don't, don't, and they also don't understand that they're going to, you know, possibly have a different, they, they may, they think they may not have a different outcome from it. But it's really interesting when you talk about like, um, you know, our, how conditioning, um, we are conditioned even to eat certain foods. You know, I was conditioned that the more love I could show my children was by through, through food. So I always had a cookie jar full of, you know, Oreo cookies or chocolate chip cookies. And if it ran low, you know, that I felt like I was a bad mom. And it's, you know, if, if I were to give you a bottle of like ethyl alcohol and say, drink this, you would be like, oh, absolutely not. But again, we've been conditioned and it's not only like accepted, it's actually encouraged um, and celebrated that we, we drink alcohol, which is actually a poison <laughs> to our, you know, to our bodies, but it's a culturally accepted and celebrated thing that we do it. It's very, when you step back and you start to realize how amazing you can feel away from that type of eating or alcohol use or whatever, it's really kind of like mind blowing that you're like, what we, we do, what, you know, how, how is that? How is that okay? And how do we think that our bodies are meant for that? It's a, it's a major shift in perspective, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, well, I'm curious. And did you, um, from friends and family, did you get pushback when you um, you changed your both your diet and your lifestyle, and you tried to incorporate some of these um, yes. ideas? Yes, and I and I don't want to sound like a victim um, because I'm not a victim, but um, my mental illness was a really big reason why my husband left me um, after I had seen Kelly. Um, and then his family, who has a, a, a really strong um, threat of very severe narcissism, it's a very narcissistic family system, they kind of kicked me off a cliff and really used my mental illness. And I, I can see that because I was very unstable, but a lot of my trauma was caused by them as well. So it was, you know, very um, like kind of twisted, you know, um, history there. Um, but But it was definitely used against me. But then even... For my immediate family, um, my children really kind of watched me, and then they started to see that I actually was getting better once the diet kind of settled in, once that lifestyle, and then once the you know the drug withdrawal kind of started to settle in a little bit, I mean get better. My kids actually really started observing me. My husband at the time did too, and then they all really started to shift immediately. Um, and so my immediate family, I would say, was very accepting. Um, and my, my family of origin has been very accepting. There were other people in my you know, other you know, family system that poo-pooed it, made fun of it. Certainly, I saw my, my, and my, that old psychologist. She was just blasting me making fun of me. I mean, this is someone that told me that I needed to bless the psychiatric medications. Every time I took one, I needed to set it on the cabinet and bless it um, because it was what was going to save me. So, and when I started seeing Kelly, she was laughing at me, calling it woo-woo um, and making fun of me. So I got a lot of pushback from you know, certain people. Um, other people were amazing and it actually ended up really changing my children's lives um, and their trajectory because they incorporated that this lifestyle, you know, into their diet. And my, my daughter-in-law 
I'm married to my son, Alec Kylie. She's actually a, 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 an OT and she specializes in like detoxification. And I think because of my journey and watching me, um, she, you know, really adopted this lifestyle and she had been on a major medications for lupus um, with a really high infl- inflammation score. And once she adopted this lifestyle, her inflammation score went way down um, and she was able to come off of all of her medications as well. So it's really had a very positive domino effect um, on my, my immediate family. It's been amazing. It's, it's literally shifted the entire trajectory of our lives. Um, there's no question. Um, and, and put us into a very empowered state of being where we seek root causes and we understand, you know, how our bodies, you know, work. Uh, but, but yeah, there were a lot of people that uh, made fun of me and um, kind of used that against me. Very similar to what psychiatry had done. Um, just kind of blamed me and gaslit me and told me I was the one that was mentally ill and things like that. So it was, it was difficult. Yeah, then. Um, that would be challenging, but it is great that you also had, you know, some semblance of a support structure. It sounds like yes. some people were so supportive and helpful, and that's really important for people. Anytime, you know, they're trying to make these improvements in their lives, you know, it, and I, I'm guessing it helped you see some of those um, people, those relationships for what they are, and you, know, you could <laughs> yeah. trim out the... Uh, negativity, so to speak. It was it was very much a, a weeding out process. And if I could, that's what really kind of led me then, um, you know, because he- healing to me, Joe, happens in layers, as many people say. And and you you kind of like shave off these layers, and the layers don't come off in chunks. For me, they didn't at least. It was a very thin layer. And what I mean by layers is, it to me, it's like awareness. So, you know, Kelly Brogan saying to me, you're not mentally ill. That was a layer. And it took me a while to absorb that layer. And then it came off. And then it was a layer of, oh, these people are giving me a lot of flack. And they're actually possibly gaslighting me, which means they're abusing me. You know, that was a layer. Um, and, and so it was very much a weeding out process. Uh, and, and then that led me into the trauma of, wow, okay, now... I'm seeing certain people treat me certain ways. And and actually I'm noticing now that this is really affecting my emotional health when I'm around them and not understanding what abuse was, emotional abuse, especially I didn't get that. And so then again, that became like kind of a rabbit hole that I forayed into like, whoa, I don't feel good around X, Y, and Z. And why are they doing this? And I've tried to speak to them about it and they're still doing it. And then I, I finally found like a trauma counselor And this was, again, a very big revelation. I was explaining behavior to him. And, you know, from my my reality and my experience growing up with my family, um, I didn't understand that what was happening was actually abuse. And this therapist said to me, did you realize that you're being abused? And again, that was kind of like a reality shift. I was like, no, I had no idea. I didn't understand, no concept of that. So when he said that, that was, again, a really painful layer that came off of understanding what emotional abuse is that I was experiencing it and then having to really, you know, end a lot of relationships uh, because there was a lot of significant emotional abuse going on. That's um, yeah, that's really interesting. And um, it's something, yeah, I think a lot of us can get caught up in a relationship. Maybe it's the, you know, the way something has always been and yeah, it, we're just used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
maybe, yeah, maybe there could be benefit in um, limiting that relationship or, you know. Well, and I, I would like to say really quickly too that I, I can't, when I work with clients, I, I can't deny, I, I can't like tell you how important it is to look at mental health as it relates to your relationships. Because I will say that being involved in emotionally abusive relationships was absolutely as much of a problem for my mental health as the psychiatric drugs were. Um, it was as judge, you know, as detrimental. So when I'm talking to people and I say, you really have to detox your life of, you know, certainly it would be nice. I, I don't, you know, people, if, if, if the drugs work for people, which I don't personally think they do, I think it's a placebo. I think it's a bandaid. I think it's always going to, we're always going to reach a tolerance level where something's going to shift in them. You're going to be constantly you know, chasing this carrot. But, but, you know, if, if, if the drugs are working, you know, certainly, do that, but but also you have to look at your your diet, your lifestyle, the consumption of alcohol or drugs, and then a huge part is looking at your relationships because if you are around toxic people, that's as dangerous, if maybe not more, than being on toxic drugs. Um, and there's also if I get around someone with really you know bad energy that's very emotionally abusive, I can feel those effects in my body. Um, and, and I literally have to walk away from them or set very firm boundaries. And if I've engaged with them too much, there will be a detox period from that person, just like you would have with food or alcohol. Um, and it can be, you know, up to three days where I can feel my body really working its way through these very painful, just icky symptoms of just, you know, just emotional dysregulation. Um, and I, I can catch that pretty quickly now when I'm around someone, if I don't like their energy, my mantra is I don't have to be around you anymore versus, you know, as a female, I was like, well, you have to be nice and you have to be kind and, you know, you need to be accepting of people and show unconditional love. I totally agree with all of that, but you can still have boundaries and you can love people from afar. So I just want to really make sure I say to people, say to you that, that emotionally um, your, your emotions can absolutely be affected by who you hang out with and who you're around. It's a really, really big deal. That makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a really good takeaway for um, for anyone listening, and you know, certainly for me. Um, just yeah, be be mindful of who you're spending time around and what what that's doing to your mental state. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious too. You mentioned a meditation practice. What um, what was that meditation practice like? And um, and do you still follow a meditation practice? So yeah, some of the meditation practice was very, very structured with Dr. Brogan. And I, and I really struggled with it. Um, but I did it. I mean, I did it very, you know, by the book, how she told me to. And that has shifted for me um, into really, and again, this is kind of what I experience healing as. It's healing to me is being able to seek awareness. It's awareness of those layers coming off and awareness of possibly there's a different way to do things and, and learning to live like in a gray area versus everything being so black or white, if that makes sense. And that's how I was. I was very black or white thinking. And so now it's really shifted into me seeking awareness 
And part of my awareness has grown into that I am not a very structured person. Um, and, I, and I stopped trying to make myself be a structured person, meaning that I would get up at 5.30 every day and I would meditate for half an hour and that's what I would do. That is not how my life is now. So now I do what I call a living meditation. And what that means to me is I just experience my reality in a very, very peaceful way. So it could be that I am you know, with my dogs and, um, you know, dogs and nature animals are, are two huge things to me. Um, and so I could be with my dogs and really get on the floor and playing with them and trying to communicate with them or taking them on walks and just, you know, watching them run after a bird. Um, it could be that, you know, it's fall now and I'm walking and I'm just observing in complete stillness and amazement of the, you know, the leaves falling from the trees and really looking at the colors and watching them fall to the ground. And then like even listen, you know, listening to hear them, you know, hitting the ground or listening to them blowing in the trees. Um, it could be while I'm driving that I'm just really observing, you know, things all around me out in the landscape um, and just witnessing just, you know, how beautiful the earth is. So that's what I, or it could be watching my grandson and just being amazed by, you know, what he's learning to say and just getting really caught up in those moments and being very, very present. Um, and that I was, I can't describe to you, I was never able to do that. I couldn't sit still and be quiet for 20 seconds and I'm not even exaggerating. So for me to be able to really, you know, be at peace and be very present and engaged mentally in these moments um, is, it's priceless to me. Um, and, and so that's what I do now is really what I call living meditation. And I would really recommend that to anybody that it, it really struggles with the meditation process. Um, that was something that took me a while to figure out that I'm just not, again, that structured. And so I do, you know, like I said, like a, a living meditation and I really, really enjoy it. That is really cool. And it's a terrific way to uh, look at the world. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, you, you might still have, um, I guess, some of the after effects of, um, of trauma still kind of working their way out. You know, are there any, um, any conditions or is there anything um, in your health that, you know, you're still trying to, to work out at this point? Such a good question. Um, you know, the cognitive issues aren't like, they don't make me non-functional. I'm just more curious about them. And that's why I said, I'd love for someone to study my brain, uh, because to be where I was, um, certainly, and I, I really do think I should be dead, um, uh, because I had multiple very severe, you know, suicide attempts. And um, so I, I, I shouldn't be here, but I am. And then to see people that have been on these drugs, you know, I, I've lost many friends um, to these drugs and to suicide. And then I've also seen people um, not, you know, die from them, but suffer severely um, after effects, long-term effects um, of akathisia, you know, where your body is just tremoring and shaking um, and, and stuttering and things like that. So to be from where I used to be, to be where I am now is amazing. I mean, I feel so blessed and can't even, um, describe how grateful I feel, uh, because I shouldn't be here and to be, you know, to be and feel how I am is I feel amazing. So, but, um, 
you know, I, I still think I, su- I suffer um, some metabolically. I, I, I do think that it really, really messed up my, um, my metabolism um, because I was on them so long. I, I do think there was some hormone um, dysregulation um, that happened as well. So I, you know, I carry maybe like, you know, 10 pounds of extra weight and, and maybe it's because of my age too. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't try to fix that stuff anymore though. I'm just more curious about it. And I just trust that eating very, very healthy and being very mindful of what I put into my body. Again, in terms of diet, um, you know, even exercise, I don't try to do things to extremes and also who I surround myself with. I just trust that that my body will acclimate and learn to regulate itself. Um, I, I used to be very like, I've got to fix this now and I've got to figure out what the problem is now. And I would go to these very drastic measures And again, it's like I said earlier, Joe, it's learning to live in the gray um, and learning to kind of accept that I think all of the answers, I trust that the answers are going to come to me, that my body um, knows what to do if given the right, you know, food, the right water and the right information, it will regulate itself. Um, So that's, you know, I can't think of anything that I really struggle with. There's some, there's some underlying trauma, um, but I have the awareness now that I can kind of feel it coming up or I can become triggered, I guess what they call it. And I can, instead of reacting to that trigger, I can again become very curious about what maybe that trigger is telling me or possibly what inside of me is possibly bur- you know, buried under a layer um, that you know, needs to work its way up into my consciousness. So it's, um, it's a very fluid and like, I'd say like reciprocal relationship, if that makes sense with my body, um, and my mind versus being like this, we're going to do this now. We're going to fix this now. We're going to go do X, Y, and Z. It's more like, it's very much an ebb and flow, um, that I'm in now. And, And again, just trusting that my body has the wisdom to, to regulate itself. Okay. Well, and everybody on this podcast looks at this uh, question a little bit differently. Um, I'm curious when it comes to, um, you know, anxiety, depression, and quote unquote, uh, mental illness, um, do you consider yourself cured of those conditions? Yeah, I consider myself um, never having them. That's what I consider okay. myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that to mental illness, I always use mental illness in, in air quotes because yeah. I don't think I ever had mental illness. No, um, it was definitely a misdiagnosis, a false diagnosis, whatever you want to call it. Um, again, my belief system believed that I had that, but but knowing now how bad I was and knowing how good I feel now and how, again, emotionally regulated I am, um, I am not dependent on any drugs. Um, or anyone, um, you know, I was a very codependent person um, in terms of relationship, having to have a partner, you know, beside me and having to have someone next to me to help me regulate my self-esteem. And that could have even been my kids, um, you know, needing someone to validate my experience um, or validate who I am. I depend on really nobody. Um, I do have faith in God, uh, but I believe that God you know, gives us um, the tools and the body and the innate wisdom to help ourselves. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think I ever had mental illness at all. I, I wouldn't consider myself cured from something that I never have. I would say that I escaped from the mental health system. Okay, that's um, yeah, that's a really interesting um, you know 
perspective, really good perspective, well, um, well lived in. Um, so, you know, I've got the question that I ask everybody who comes on this podcast. Now that you have improved your health, what's one thing you enjoy doing that you couldn't do before? The great question. And I mean, I, 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 again, I can't convey, I mean, that I, I couldn't function. I mean, I, like I said earlier, I was not able to sit still. This just akathisia, this tremoring, this where you, again, you feel like it felt like I was being like kind of tasered, like by a, a cattle prod um, constantly, like, right. I would get these jolts um, through my body and it would feel like my skin was burning. Um, I can remember and I've had many people say to me, they, they know this feeling that like even looking at my children or my husband or, or you know, somebody across the room, my depth perception was off. It was like they were in a tunnel. Um, so it was a really altered state that I lived in for, for many, many years. And now I can sit. I, I Truly, if I could tell you one thing I'm really grateful to be able to do, it's truly just to be able to sit. Um, and like, I can sit places and just really observe people, um, and observe what's going on. I can, like I said, observe my dogs, um, observe nature, you know, I've watched the sunrise. I could not do any of that before. What I would have been doing would be, I would be online, you know, my phone at four in the morning. Um, I'd wake up, you know, if I slept for an hour, I'd wake up at three or four and I'd be on my phone trying to fix myself or trying to figure out what was wrong. Um, trying to find some meditation practice. And this is before I saw Dr. Brogan. So it was like um, my whole life has been completely transformed where I'm able to actually experience, you know, my reality on this planet now in a very, very peaceful, peaceful way. That's terrific. Um, you know, are there any uh, resources that you would recommend if, if there's a listener who's in, um, you know, in a situation similar to what you were in, maybe they're in the mental health system and, um, you know, they feel trapped is, you know, are there any resources that you can recommend that they check out? Yeah. Um, for overall, I would tell people, and this sounds a little cliche, but I can't stress the importance of this. I stress to people and I stress this to my kids all the time that we have to ask for help. Um, Earth is really a free will planet. And I believe in God and I believe in you know, angels and, and guides. And I also believe that our highest version of ourselves um, exists um, in another dimension, if that makes sense, um, that time is not linear. It's not the way that we have constructed it in our minds. And so I, the first thing I tell people is you have to ask for help. Um, you have to ask God for help. You know, you know ask and the door will be opened. Um, we, we do have to ask for help. So I'm constantly in communication with God um, on a on a minute by minute basis. Like I need help here. I need guidance here. Tell me where I need to go. Show me where I need to be. And it's also learning, Joe, that those answers aren't you know black or white. You know, it's not going to be like Ali. You should go do this. You know, no one's going to send me an email. It's learning to be very still and quiet and listen to the information coming in. And it could be something that like, you know, I ask for help and then I get a phone call or I ask for help and I see an article or, you know, something, someone comes into my awareness and I meet someone out of nowhere. And so these are all very divinely inspired, you know, things that are happening, but you do have to ask for help. So that's my first thing I always tell people for, for mental health. I can't, you know, obviously I'm going to throw out Kelly Brogan because she, she literally did, 
And she gets mad when I say she saved my life because I did a lot of work. Um, but again, it was that changing, that initial changing my mindset and believing in me. She, she was the first doctor in almost three decades that saw me as a human being and not as a label, you know, not wow. as a diagnosis. So it's, you know, looking into her um, and, you know, what she has to offer people, you know, reading her books um, and, and also, you know, anybody else um, that's on that, you know, in that holistic, you know, type approach of medicine, because holistic, you know, you know, I know your listeners know this, it's, it's looking for root cause. Um, that's what we're trying to figure. Instead of masking the symptoms, we're trying to figure out what's the bottom of this. What can we figure out that can actually possibly even cure this or get rid of it, as in my case, it did completely, um, and versus, you know, masking the symptoms with drugs. Um, so that, you know, obviously looking into you know, doctors like that and, and practitioners like that. I do want to focus, too, really quickly on the, the emotional abuse side. Um, and it was very more specific. It was narcissistic abuse that I experienced, which can be deadly. Um, and again, I can't stress that enough. Do I think that people kill themselves after being narcissistically abused? 100%. Um, it can make someone very, very mentally ill, um, very mentally ill. And so for that, I would um, recommend two people that I followed on YouTube uh, because Again, my someone's pointed out to me that you know you, that's abuse that you've suffered, and it was again probably another year of having to rewrite my reality and realize how mind bending um, it had been to be in relationships like that where I was being gaslit all the time and being abused. And so it was watching. Um, she's called the Little Shaman on YouTube. Um, little shaman, S H A M A N. I cannot stress how amazing this lady is, the work that she does. Um, very quick videos, but she points out specifically how narcissistic abuse happens and what it does to your mind. Because what's happened is just like my mind was bent by, you know, Western medicine and the mental health system to believe that I was mentally ill, being abused narcissistically will bend your mind in ways and skew your perspective where you think that you are the mentally ill one and that's not what's happening at all. So it's all again, like you said earlier, it's your perspective is being um, kind of hijacked and it's not what it, you think it is. So, and then another one that I watched um, all the time was a lady named Lisa Romano. Um, and she's again on YouTube and she deals with, um, you know, abuse and codependency and family of origin and things like that. So those are, those are all of my resources that I go to. And um, yeah, I can't stress enough. You, you have to really kind of, when you're healing from narcissistic abuse, you have to flood your brain constantly with the correct reality um, and, and really go out to those, you know, people and watch those videos all the time. And those are, um, yeah, those are great recommendations. We'll make sure to, uh, have these in the show notes for this episode. Um, for any of our listeners who want to, uh, hear more from you, Allie, where can you be found online? So that right now, I just have my Twitter account, and uh, and then I also have my Instagram and Facebook accounts. I'm being, being very heavily censored on Facebook, um, and I would expect that that could be deleted at any point, um, and, and certainly um, Instagram too. And I also have a Telegram account, which I highly recommend because we know it's it's not censored, or we think it's not <laughs> censored. Who knows? Um, and that's they're all just you know Ali A L I Zek Z E C K. Um, and I, I am working on coming up with my own podcast, 
um, at some point where I kind of explore kind of more coming out of the matrix, um, you know, coming out of rabbit holes and, and understanding what we thought our reality was at one point isn't really what it is and what that experience has been like for different people. So, well, yeah, I, I highly uh, recommend any of the listeners check out Allie's work, um, you know, Instagram, Twitter, um, you know, I've been following and really, yeah, I really appreciate your perspective, um, especially during these times with all of the reactions to COVID and just things going on at the societal level that you're able to um, see and kind of uh, compare and contrast what's happening at a societal level with some of the experiences that you've had and, um, you know, you felt some of this abuse at, um, at the behest of the mental health system. Um, I, there are a lot of parallels and um, it's been really fascinating to me, um, you know, seeing your perspective on all of this. Um, Ali, I really appreciate you um, taking the time to uh, meet with me today and to share your story here. Um, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much too, Joe. It was, it was a pleasure being on here. Thank you for listening to You Here and What. Join us again soon for another story of healing. <laughs>